0: Every day, I get an opportunity to learn about new exciting things customers of ours are doing. For years, I thought about how passionate I am about helping my customers build out a world-class internal cloud. But the truth is a lot of them, uh, whether it's because of some of the constraints with staffing, may not have the skills to be able to build out their own internal clouds. And as they go through and look at how can they redesign their networks to more effectively support their manufacturing at the edge, Or whether it's leveraging these 5G capabilities and jumping on a MEC and then you know coming back to a location where they're able to centralize for some of the processing or storing for persistent data it's one thing to be able to decision against data but oftentimes we want to go back and look at it a second time or a third time to understand what did we miss or what can we do more effectively through our processing that is the storage of persistent data that may not occur at the edge that may occur in some central location that the customer may not even wanna have a data center anymore. They may say, I wanna get out of the data center business because I can have an option of have a, a more optimized network connection in a location where I store my persistent data, where I can spin up compute resources to go against that data to run my business more effectively long term.
1: Well, welcome back to Cloud Talk. I'm your host, Jeff Deverter. Now, here at Cloud Talk, we strive to help decode the ever changing world of technology to help you apply it to your business so that hopefully you'll have one more tool in your arsenal to help improve your business and those around you. Now, in today's episode, I'm delighted to have CTO of Unstructured Data over at Dell Technologies, Joe Steiner. Now, in our conversation, we unpack everything that you need to know about unstructured data and also how storage based solutions have been a passion of Joe's almost since the beginning of his career. Now, of course, stick around to the end after the interview. As always, I have a few thoughts that I want to share with you about the episode and a few other bits of news that I want to share with you. The line between application and infrastructure is virtually invisible
0: in these modern apps. The kind of thing that a global computing fabric with immense resilience and scale can deliver without even breaking a sweat. That's really what the promise of the cloud's always been. It's all focused on the business objectives. That's where we craft the plan.
1: In the tech world, we like to celebrate the lone genius, but I'm just going to tell you right now, they're just the convenient face as founders to focus on. Welcome
0: to Cloud Talk. Here's your host, Jeff Deverter.
1: Well, the world is changing. We know the world is changing because we can see it all around us in the devices and the tech that we either have in our hands, in our pockets, on our desks, or that we connect to, uh, and, and how it's all interconnected. Well, these, these services, these capabilities create one common asset across all of these devices, regardless of what it is, and that asset, of course, is data. Data is ultimately, well, it's the topic for our conversation today here on Cloud Talk. And I'm joined by Joe Steiner, who is the CTO for Unstructured Data over at Dell. Joe, welcome to Cloud Talk. I'm so glad
0: you're here. Oh, thanks for having us. We're excited about the opportunity to share some insight and just a to- continue to partner the way that we have over the years and uh, help our customers solve challenge, but have a great conversation today about how data is impacting not only our customers, but our daily lives. So thank you.
1: Yeah. You know, Joe, not a lot of people think about data separately from the application or the use case, let's say, you know, in fact, when I first started at Rackspace, I came to launch our, um, our dedicated or single tenant SharePoint offering you know, and there was a tier in there, and was that was that's that big old SQL server just to store all the data, and we didn't think about it separately. In fact, Microsoft wouldn't even let us go and play with the database; you had to come through the application itself. And I think that's that's sort of indicative of how we treated data back then. This was this was two thousand eight ish, but a lot's changed, hasn't it?
0: It absolutely has, and you know, it, the, the evolution of SQL in general. You talk about now we want to. How do we have logs that we could roll back and uh, recover the database and have all the log entries over the course of minutes and over the course of hours? And then you, you know, frequently want to do database dumps. So the interaction of all of that, writing it maybe to a separate location, uh, so then you replicate that data as part of your disaster recovery strategy. But right there's there's in every aspect of everything we do in our daily lives. We're generating data, whether it's in the business world or whether it's in our personal world. We see it, every, we see it all around us.
1: And, and we can't really even exist without access to it. Had to go get a car inspected today. What do you have to have for that? Well, I had to get access to the data that is my insurance information so that I could print out a copy of the fact that my, my vehicle was insured so that I could have it done. And that's just one little record, one tiny record of all of the things that are, that are floating around in our daily lives.
0: Well, and depending on who's asking for the information, there's also... Governancing requirements and you know the global uh, requirements change from country to country, but depending on maybe even the vertical that you're working in, the financial sector, right? You do a home loan or you do some form of a a transaction that has to be maintained and retained for a certain period of time for record record keeping. Joe, we've jumped into
1: the deep end pretty quick. I'd love to learn a bit more about you. How, did you, how long have you been at Dell and, 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 uh, and what was your first job at Dell?
0: So I've, I'm coming up on 10 years at Dell Technologies. Most of my career I actually spent on the customer side, but at Dell Technologies, I joined excited to uh, interact with customers, some of the biggest financial services customers. So I came on as an account manager. A regional account manager responsible for some of our financial services customers, helping them solve some of their technical uh, challenges.
1: Yeah. So, um, but uh, but you're a CTO now, so moving from account management up into CTO role—that's a—that's a nice hop.
0: Well, you know, with me having so much customer experience and most of my time being a customer. Uh, it was great interacting with the customers that I did work with in the financial services space, but to be honest with you, I wanted to have a bigger impact. Okay. So I you know kind of took my customer lens all right, I looked at everything to the customer 's lens and looked at how can I help my customers solve challenges but also have a broader impact across Dell technologies. So I wanted to have an opportunity to influence our product in some manner in, in, in some manner. So the opportunity to work with our product management team, our engineering team, our sales organization, and our customers uh, is really what I became passionate about. And I was lucky enough to have the opportunity to elevate to this uh, CTO team.
1: Right. Well, being passionate about making sure people have access to data wasn't wasn't a new thing. I mean, you were on the, the customer side before, but we were just visiting before I pushed the big red button to record you even had a startup figuring out trying to help you know specific communities you know work together better through data
0: I did so you know it's interesting you talk about uh, some of my earliest days I worked for uh, G Capital retail financial division and I was a college student it was I was interested in these automated dialing systems and how customers, uh, were being able to be touched in, in new ways, like from the audio content that was being uh, made available to representatives, but then also matching the data with that. So telephony capabilities. And I got, got really passionate about that and started taking some classes. And then I started going down the path of, man, I think I could do something with all of this technology and uh service and maybe somehow make a bunch of money, right? So I... <laughs> During the you know, early 2000s, during the whole dot-com boom, I looked at uh, some industries and thought, thought about how can I uh, do some things that are good for the mortgage industry? So I started a company called DriveStorage.com. That, uh, was the, the whole idea was to be able to give real estate agents and mortgage brokers and mortgage companies the ability to collaborate in a workspace on drive storage.com not have to be bound by the physical limitation of the There's hardware big
1: chunks of papers. They, they bring in day when you're or selling.
0: Exactly. Well, it was a great idea. Uh, but I forgot about one really important element and that was how much bandwidth was needed to be able to collaborate in that manner.
1: Right. Yeah. Isn't it funny how, you know, there can be ideas about things and part of the tech is there, but the whole solution isn't. And that's one of the things, Joe, that I get really excited about technology these days. And that is the phrase I've been using lately is all of this tech, whether it's cloud or specific solutions like what you guys bring to the table, for all intents and purposes, it's infinite. We can't ask enough of it. And even though some of the stuff can be pricey, it, it's just not that pricey anymore compared to what you get. I was listening to a, to a live stream earlier and it was a, a a colleague of old and he was talking about how, you know, back in his his um, systems management days when he was looking after these SQL servers and there was a database that was like, you know, 890 gigabytes. And I think maybe it was up, up to a terabyte. And this was massive for the mid nineties if you think about it. I mean, that's a lot of data. Um, today, that's a flash drive.
0: Exactly. Well, and, and it's it's all around us. I mean, I I uh, talk about a connected world that we live in. My refrigerator has a IP address. My sprinkler system, my doorbell, my coffee maker, my toothbrush literally sends my daily brushing habits to my phone. That if I wanted to go look at uh, how you know effective I was or how many minutes I was brushing my teeth, right? All of that is generating data, and, and the cost of of sensors are getting to the point where they're in our everyday components that we interact with. It's crazy how cheap things have gotten that can carry an IP that mm-hmm. enables inactivity and for data to be transferred.
1: Well, even just a year or two ago, maybe it was three years ago, but I remember reading some stuff from Mark Cuban. He was effectively saying, bring me any any product idea that you have, any business that I can invest in that has to do with sensors, because that's where the world is going.
0: It is everything yet, then, is there i mean
1: all the stuff in the house the light sensors the door sensors the i mean i got a smart home here who are we kidding i i'm going to be able to push a button and and set the scene if you will so um it's it's amazing
0: it is and whether it's through all of the things we talk to our devices about right these smart devices that you can enable that connectivity to the to the lights to be able to set the mood or to shut them off to turn them back on right they're they're able to learn from the speech patterns and the things that you're requesting once again that's data that's been generated that can go uh can provide even more clarity on how we communicate how we uh you know emphasize words or things that we're even requesting right i order my dog food that way do you really I do. I just say, I need more dog food. And two days later, my dog food arrives.
1: It just sort of shows up. Isn't that great? Um, yeah. Because now if I open my garage door that way, you know, yeah, exactly. uh, hey, hey, lady in my phone, I don't want to say her name because she'll make a beep and uh, open the garage door. Exactly. So so Joe, you're the CTO of unstructured data. Um, it sounds impressive. I know what a CTO means, but I don't think everyone necessarily knows what unstructured data is. So maybe just conceptually, where, where's this data coming from? What is it? What makes it different than structured data? And then maybe we can learn a little bit more about the, the things that, micro, or that Microsoft, that Dell has to, to enable that.
0: Yeah. So, structured data, we typically think of so, think of it as items that we know we want to put in rows and columns in specific places. So, right, we we say we want to put the name of the individual in this uh, section here. We want to put the first last name address. Right, very structured in how we're putting the information in. Uh, unstructured data typically doesn't follow that same format. It's going to be your uh, your streaming data content. It's going to be content that like your home directories, group shares, office documents. But even that, uh, with regards to my definition of what um, structured versus unstructured is, um, you know, where there are databases now that are doing schema on read versus schema on write.
1: Really? Guess,
0: yeah. The whole concept of you know, uh, the putting everything in rows and columns was a design scheme that said, I'm going to do schema on write. I'm going to put everything mm-hmm. in these very structured approaches. And then the advantageousness of being able to look at the data sets in new ways changes the scheme to doing it on, on, on read. So schema on read. So unstructured data, you know, typically we, we categorize in the form of a file or an object or a stream of data that's coming out of a sensor mm-hmm. and a sensor could be a video camera.
1: Yeah. Yeah. My ring, my ring doorbell at the front, just capturing all that video stuff that comes in the audio that comes in the, the telemetry around it, when it was pushed and that sort of stuff.
0: Exactly.
1: And that's just one device. And we think <laughs> about this in a, in a commercial context, let's, let's now go walk through a, um, let's walk through a, a manufacturing facility thousands upon thousands of sensors. I mean, um, uh, I'll I'll tell you the truth. I enjoy opening YouTube and watching those how I made it videos, how, how they're made. You know, it doesn't matter if it's French fries or hot dogs or I watched one on hamburgers the other day and my wife just shakes her head. But you look at the precision of what's happening and uh, it, the, the sensors and, and the optical bits just to make sure that what's being created at the point when it's being created in different phases that it's meets the spec. You don't need a person looking at it. You have machines for that.
0: Exactly. And that's it, it, that's the world that is changing so rapidly is how much we want to process information out on the edge and in the manufacturing or the automotive facilities, being able to be more accurate with how we uh, are building things and being able to keep up with paces that a human possibly can't, right? There's, there's information from uh, the, the speed in which things are going through those manufacturing Facilities, Like the canning process and being able to ensure that everything is sealed properly and the creativity that comes into the engineering surrounding the manufacturing facilities, whether it's, um, you know, uh, tapping and getting a vibration readout that some, a sensor is listening to, or whether it's in certain manufacturing like EDA facilities where they're taking pictures and looking for variances. Against uh, a soldering on a board onto, uh, you know, a, a component. It's impressive to think about how we are utilizing in our world sensory information.
1: Well, we're getting dangerously close to using one of the words I'll call a buzzword. Um, but it's going to be awfully appropriate. And that's edge because we're, we're walking all around the edge because when we think about these sorts of decisions that need to be made, first of all, the capturing of the data. But then, you know, we're making live decisions against a lot of that data um, before it gets back into that, you know, uh, ultimate repository. Uh, and that's where the edge is really starting to play. You know, you know, Joe, you talk about, you know, the business that you had back in the early 2000s. And and uh, and where the world was moving at that point was towards this this centralized cloud-based thing. Well, it seems like that because of the well, the limitating limiting limited, limiting factor that you had back then, and that was network bandwidth, which is now effectively gone thanks to 5G, we can we can now completely distribute this stuff. Now we can take and we can have those repositories and decisions that happen on on the on that data set. And uh, uh, and have that happen just in time, right in the right location.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it, it leads to uh, one of the things that I really enjoy about my job. Every day, I get a, I get an opportunity to learn about new, exciting things customers of ours are doing. And there's some trends that I've been picking up on that uh, are really exciting. You know, I, I, for years, thought about how passionate I am about helping my customers build out a world-class internal cloud but the truth is a lot of them, uh, whether it's because of some of the constraints with staffing may not have the skills to be able to build out their own internal clouds. And as they go through and look at how can they redesign their networks to more effectively support their manufacturing at the edge, or whether it's leveraging these 5G capabilities and jumping on a mech and then, you know, coming back to a location where they're able to centralize for some of the processing or storing the per- persistent data. It's one thing to be able to decision against data. But oftentimes we want to go back and look at it a second time or a third time to understand what did we miss or what can we do more effectively through our processing. And that is that is the storage of persistent data that may not occur at the edge. That may occur in some location, uh, in a central location that the customer may not even want to have a data center anymore. They may just, they may say, I want to get out of the data center business because I can have an option of have a, of a more optimized network connection in a location where I store my persistent data, where I can spin up compute resources to go against that data to run my business more effectively long-term.
1: That's right. And so great delineation that you make, because as I paint this poetic story of how we can do all this stuff at the edge, it doesn't mean it stays there. It's there to make the decision to help the process move along, but you're right, then put back into persistence somewhere where there's economies of scale. But it does also call out you know, the opportunities that exist now as well, made available by and large by some of the great tech that you guys have, but also the combination of the network capabilities that exist. And that is, you know, we can start to store that data where it makes the most sense. So you use the example of let's let's go put the persistent data somewhere. and Then we can make some decisions against it and spin machines up. Well, the place where the data is stored and where the machines are spun up, they don't have to be the same anymore. You know, at Rackspace, yeah. we've got, we you know, we have an offering where you can store your data at Rackspace and because of our network connections out into all of the clouds and all of the locations, you know, that's where the data can then be, or the machines can be spun up to action against it
0: yeah i couldn't i i agree i agree with you 100% right the the customers have the flexibility of choosing where they run their work and where they store their data but being able to effectively benefit from the network connectivity and have uh, cost optimized solutions where maybe they don't have to make the investment in a physical location that they used to uh you know in, in their traditional data center they're able to leverage the capabilities of rack space utilize your network backbone and your net network connectivity, maybe still use some of the cloud applications and tool chains that are out there to go against the data sets. Uh, but, you know, together, I think, you know, Rackspace and Dell have built some great solutions together with um, data freedom and our object platform, geographically distributed, that can be built on top of a Kubernetes stack for agility or a power scale platform that allows for that, You know, massive amounts of concurrency for the workloads that could benefit from that is we process data. The data sets in the form of an object are going to give you some capabilities that, uh, that are, that are, that even more enhanced with regards to searching against metadata. Some of my customers are actually starting the decision against the metadata instead of opening up the data to process. Really? It's incredible.
1: Huh. That really has, um, that really speaks to the power of the information about the data, you know, the metadata. And, um, and, and it, it speaks to, you know, we hear privacy concerns as well. Well, hey, we're not listening directly to Joe's information. Well, but we know when he called and we know who he called, but we didn't listen to the call itself. Well, think about that in the context of how all of these, this data is being captured in all of its different locations. There's a, a wealth of information in that metadata.
0: Absolutely. And, and that's the, a metadata strategy. Some of our customers are starting to talk and explore and realize the benefit of metadata and how can they tag against certain information. And uh, that's going to continue to be a trend that we see um, our customers uh, exploring.
1: Yeah. yeah. So one of the things that, that I've been reading a lot about lately, you know, it speaks a little bit to the offering we have here, but this isn't, we're not here to sell that offering. But the point is that when you think about that move to the cloud, and whether we're moving all the way into a public cloud or some private cloud, or whether we're breaking it up, especially uh, almost exclusively when data is involved, you know, a lot, a lot of people are thinking about the fees of the network transit, and that needs to be a strong decision in application architecture because you know it's. Um, I always think of the Roach Motel, easy to check in, but you can't check out. Uh, You still can't get your data out of the hyperscale clouds, but make sure you're paying attention and factor in those egress fees. They can be substantial.
0: Absolutely. You know, data has gravity and being able to, you know, I I often talk about it as data is a first class citizen. We have to consider the workflow that your, uh, your, your, your business is relying on and the data associated with it. Are we generating the data and just writing it and not not using it on a frequent basis? Or is there a transactional nature to it that requires a lot of concurrency that could generate a lot of egress? And more and more, we're seeing that customers uh, go into some of these hyperscaler solutions and are in shock at the cost of the egress or shock at the workflow patterns or the importance of the network connectivity into those hyperscaler resources and the latency is less than optimal to the data. And you, you really have to think about data as a first-class citizen and how not only can I consider it as part of my workflow, but how can I most effectively store it, uh, you know, long-term.
1: Well, and and it's, it's a, a, it's a huge point when you think about it as a first-class citizen, because that makes me think, well, it's important. Yeah, I get that it's important, but it's multifaceted. You know, when you think about its importance, yes, That means that it also has flexibility today, can put it where I want it. What drives that flexibility, cost, access, um, um, security, sometimes um, uh, compliance reasons as well. But all of these things means that, that I can make that decision on the on the the pile of data itself, and I don't have to consider the entire application as a whole. I can I can take that layer of data and treat it independently, or not. Ultimately, I get to make that decision, and I need to make that decision as an application architect or a business leader.
0: Exactly, you know, I think about some of our our customers that are doing things in the video surveillance space. Uh, whenever they there may be a need for a cache on premise. Yeah. For a period of 24 hours, but they want to go back and look at the content uh, long-term, but they don't have the data center or the uh, facility space to accommodate the storage uh, infrastructure needed uh, for those long-term uh, video images. So it just gets shipped off to a, a location, and they can go back and maybe spin up a virtual instance and with their VMS, their video management solution at that location like a rack space to be able to, uh, you know, go against those retention, those long-term videos and go back and see what happened months ago or weeks ago or days ago.
1: Or years ago. In the case of now, we just save everything.
0: Exactly.
1: In fact, I was uh, talking to um, the gentleman who leads all data practice over at, uh, at Google. And that really is their, their, their recommendation for people these days is they say, even if you don't know how you're going to deal with the data, don't lose any of it today. It will have value when you're ready to um, to deal with it.
0: Yeah, it's an exciting time, and, and the futures the future is bright for data. You know, we we, we typically say eighty percent of data that's created is unstructured, so that gives you a perspective of the balance of unstructured versus structured. But the way that we're utilizing these technologies, you know, the, the next generation, uh, monitoring or surveillance, not surveillance, excuse me, uh, authentication for get on a Delta flight is yeah. facial recognition. Really, It's incredible to think about. You're going to be able to walk into an airport. You're going to walk up to a screen and you're going to just show your face into a camera. It's going to know who you are. And it's going to know that you have a flight that day. And it's going to allow you to go past instead of having to show your ticket to a security TSA individual. See, they, they I know my,
1: my existing ticket is antiquated, but that sort of freaks me out a little. You know, yeah. as, a, as much of a technologist as I am, sometimes I just get a little nervous.
0: Yeah. They implemented it in Atlanta in one other uh, city already uh, where Delta enables you to go from the uh, walking through the Hartsfield, Atlanta, Jackson Airport all the way to the plane with facial recognition through Delta.
1: Wow, that is impressive use of the technology. And think of all the metadata they're capturing about that as well. Who was there, when they were there, where they were going, uh, how early they got there. I mean, they know all of the things because they're they're watching, literally watching you.
0: <laughs> well, the use of the technology is going to be broad, whether it's our everyday lives or whether it's in our customers and individual verticals. You know, it's it's uh, it's here to stay. It's a first-class citizen and it's going to change the way that um, a lot of companies are able to produce and manufacture more efficiently. But we know that it's going to continue to create an explosive amount of growth in the unstructured data world.
1: Right. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? The existence of the data drives the creation of more data and the crazy yeah. existence of that data drives the creation of more data. And uh, and what's exciting for me is you know the delta example is fantastic because it speaks to um it speaks to how really smart people are seeing the opportunity of the raw materials because I also like to refer to data kind of as that natural resource that just needs to be curated and and capture the power that's inside of it. You know your example there is is a great one. You know there's a lot going on in in specific industries as well like media and entertainment talk about a uh, a vertical that is data hungry. I mean, that those those uh, high def and 4K, high def, that sounds so 90s, um, yeah. the 4K, 4K and 8K movies, it takes a lot of storage.
0: It sure does. You know, the PowerScale platform powered by OneFS, right? That's uh, the old Iceland. It was born in the media entertainment space. So literally our founder, he started in the media entertainment space to solve a problem. I don't know if you're aware of that. He literally... Sujit Suja Patel, I think, was the gentleman's name, the founder that was working for a media entertainment company and couldn't uh, render and didn't have, uh, you know, there was like a scale-up architecture limitation that he had found. And he said, okay, I need to be able to write my content in a scaled-out manner and uh, in a distributed fashion. And he went back and built one And that literally became Isilon, which now is PowerScale. So yeah, we're, we're, um, we have been on a journey in the media entertainment space in particular. We just continue to see creativity and, uh, you know, whether it's acceleration that we're able to give our customers with, um, you know, the ability to have network segmentation or whether it's some of our customers that are going out and using cloud compute resources or compute resources to do, you know, simu- simulated, uh, scenes. And they run all these computational uh, methods against data to make what looks like a big wave coming across the ocean that, yeah. you know, is, is all just digital CPU creation. The output yeah. of that, you know, st- will still sit on our infrastructure um, for the you know, long-term creation of the movie. But the compute itself just created a scene. And that it's just, it's crazy to think about how accurate it looks and how they're able to make things look so lifelike. Um, It's it's, we've evolved quite a bit in the media entertainment space.
1: No kidding. Another example we were talking about before is in the fintech world. And uh, you know, that that's a business that's just trying to cut every cost that they can find to be able to, uh, to save margins or, or find some more margin and, um, yeah, you know, this is an area where where you're absolutely helping that industry to do that.
0: We are in the fintech space. You know, it's kind of where you know, what as we were talking about my past, I didn't tell you that I spent 15 years working for one of the largest banks in the world. It was a it was a fun project, but I was uh, I, I was in, it was instilled in me that the banking industry looks at every opportunity to reduce their per transactional cost in the most secure manner, right? We've got to make sure that we have record retention, uh, disciplines. We want to make sure that we keep the data that is associated with the right type of use, uh, for the right amount of time on the most secure infrastructure. But they also are looking at how can they drive down costs? And that might mean collaborating with like fintech companies. So the idea of being able to have connectivity in the data, um, shared in a secure manner with someone that might be doing something surrounding maybe fraud detection uh, or uh, doing some service for them surrounding processing of um, merchant services transactions. Yeah. So, so having, you know, the, the, the collaboration of companies to drive down cost and the sharing of data to, in you know, just once again, evolve the business it's happening all around us
1: so i think it's interesting so we talk about some different opportunities where data data data, data is enabling new capabilities in in the market whether uh, i think the example around media and entertainment is great or it's helping around the business goal of how do we um, how do we find more margin? How do we, how do we cut costs? So data is a core lever in, in, in helping establish businesses, save more money. It's a core lever in creativity and creating new things. And it's a core natural ingredient into innovation and stuff we haven't seen yet. I mean, you had the data idea back in the early 2000s, um, but you had other limiting, limiting fa- uh, factors in there as well. But again, I'll go back to my my quote that I use these days is is the technology is infinite. We can't ask enough of it. We don't have the ability to ask more than it can deliver. But it's up to us to figure the ways of putting all of these components together in a way creates new businesses, saves money, um, helps businesses grow into new areas. I mean, it's really infinite in the way that we can use it. What you guys are doing over there at at, uh, at Dell Technologies is is fascinating and talk about cutting edge as well.
0: Yeah, we're doing it together. I, I I literally wake up every day excited about coming in and learning new things that our customers are doing. But our customers are, in a lot of ways, they don't have they have constraints. They're not able to fully realize the potential of the uh, the the new way of doing things. The the transformation that is that is occurring that literally is going to change our world. You know, to think about how we're treating cancer, to think about how we're you know resolving. Whether it's in the financial services sector, the automotive industry, all around is our everyday interactions is generating and relying on data. And we get to be a part of that. So when we when we have an opportunity to, you know, partner with Rackspace and give our customers additional cage location network capabilities and, and break away the requirement of the compute from the data, being able to give them data freedom. And, you know, I'm excited, Jeff, about this partnership and and really appreciate the opportunity to, you know, talk through this uh, podcast today.
1: Well, man, the partnership's exciting, but I've been inspired by, you know, the, uh, again, all, everything that's, that's possible here around, you know, just thinking about how we deal with, with data. So Joe, thanks so much for being on the podcast today.
0: Hey, have a great day. Thanks. This has been Cloud Talk. You can find Cloud Talk wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And be sure to check out more content from Rackspace Solve at solve.rackspace.com.
1: It's all around us. I love how there isn't a use case that we can't discuss that doesn't have data as part of it. Now, something to really consider here, and we touched on it a little bit during our conversation, and that's that not just to consider data as, you know, part of the package of the application. And I think Joe said it best. Data is now a first class citizen. And in almost every use case now, it can stand on its own, providing additional value to the enterprise. Hey, if you enjoyed this episode, consider subscribing to Cloud Talk if you haven't done so already and give us one of those five-star reviews. And if these are the kind of conversations that you enjoy, well, I have them live every Tuesday and Thursday at 8:30 a.m. Central Time on the Rackspace LinkedIn, Twitter, and YouTube account. Check us out over there. Well, I'm so thankful that Joe Steiner was on the program today, but even more so for the partnership that we have and the sponsorship that we enjoy from Dell Technologies of the Rackspace Solve program, where we strive to help decode the ever-changing world of technology to help you apply it to your business so that hopefully you'll have one more tool in your arsenal to help improve your business and those around you. For Cloud Talk, I'm Jeff Deverter.